Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. It is my privilege to return to the pulpit, and uh, I've been missing this. And, and yet, at the same time, um, this morning, I feel strangely nervous coming back up here to preach. And so I'm going to ask if you would just pray with me. Um, I'd like to just lift up a quick prayer. Jesus, we believe that every time the Bible is opened or a message is delivered, there's an opportunity to hear from you. And we don't really need any other voice in our lives but yours. And so this morning, it is our prayer that you would speak, that you would speak to us today. Lord, we ask that you would be with me as I preach, but I also just ask that you would be with each person who would hear this message, that you would be as much involved in the receiving of it as in the preaching of it. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Give me one second. I'm having some serious technical difficulties with my iPad. This is why I should go back to paper. Okay. Excuse me. We're starting a new series this morning, and it's a series that I've been wanting to do for like over 10 years and haven't done. And I read in a commentary not too long ago, I think I understand now what it is. The commentary said that the parables are the kind of thing that rookie pastors can't wait to preach because they think it's going to be so easy but that veteran preachers dread to preach because they realize just how hard it actually is. And I think both things are true. That on the one hand, the parables are very accessible, but on the other hand, it's very easy to completely miss the point. And I think you're going to understand that as the message unfolds, why that is the case. This morning, we're going to just tackle a very, very simple question which is why did Jesus speak in parables in the first place? Why did he do that at all? What was with this particular teaching device? And the text today comes from Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, and then 34 to 35. Here's what it says. The disciples came to him and asked him, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart 
has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. It's the word of God. For as long as I can remember, I have processed new information using analogies. In fact, if you've ever had a conversation with me or heard my preaching, you know that analogies are the way I communicate because it's not just a device for me. It's how I learn. Uh, You know, for, for the longest time when we were growing up, I thought I was smarter than my brother until I realized he's a genius and I'm the dummy in the family. And what I realized is the way I have to process new information is by connecting it to something that I already understand. And that's why, without even thinking about it, it's second nature now. I draw analogies all the time. And here's basically what an analogy is. I find myself always saying this, oh, it's kind of like this. And I take something unfamiliar and I try to attach it to what I already find familiar as a concept. That is essentially what analogy is. But then also I can say this, for as long as I can remember, I have loved a good story. In fact, I can, I can listen to stories all day long and never get bored. Even bad stories are worth kind of listening to because I just love stories. In fact, I think stories are the most powerful form of communication that was ever given to humanity. That's my personal opinion. It doesn't say that in the Bible. But I really believe that story is one of the most powerful ways that people communicate with one another. And that's why I think for, for ever since I became a Christian, I've been really drawn to the parables of Jesus. Because what a parable is, is a story that functions as an analogy. Two of my favorite things. It's a story which isn't a stuffy presentation with charts and graphs. It's a story. And how many times does someone say, hey, can I tell you a story? And you're like, no! I hate stories. We love stories. But when someone says, hey, can I give you a lecture? You're like, please get away from me. Stories are good. But when a story functions like an analogy where they say, let me tell you a story that after you hear it, your mind will be blown because something you don't understand now will become so much clearer to you. And so I've been really waiting for a while to tackle the parables of Jesus. I hope I do, I do justice to the text and faithfully Uh, open up these wonderful stories to you. Now, this question that the disciples asked Jesus was in response to something. So the first observation I want to make from this passage is that there was a double threat going on which Jesus was responding to, and it was at the heart of why he used parables. His disciples simply asked him one day, "Um, why do you speak to the people in parables? Now, the reason they asked him this is because they noticed there was a change in the way that he was teaching. 
If you hang out with somebody, you can discern after you heard them speak day after day, week after week, you can detect subtle shifts in the way that they're preaching or teaching. And these guys picked up on it. You know, and so if you really could put it in modern terms, when they asked this question, it might have sounded more like this today. Yo, Jesus, what's with all the parables all of a sudden? What's with all the parables? Because what they picked up was, little by little, he started favoring this method of teaching, and he used to teach a lot more directly. He used to make proclamations. He spoke directly to people. But more and more, he started teaching in these stories that were like riddles, and the, the disciples are getting concerned because they're looking out at the crowd, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, I totally get it. But then halfway through, they're like, oh, I'm not entirely sure I get it. And they could tell that some of the people were being lost. And they said, you know, maybe, Jesus, we ought to switch up the tactic a little because you're, you're using these things that aren't immediately clear to everybody. Why are you doing that? Matthew 13, where this question is asked, where all these things take place, marks a halfway point in the Gospel of Matthew. And it also marks a significant changing point. There's a, there's a kind of turn in Jesus' ministry. And so Matthew 13, he makes the statement, and then he, he launches into seven parables that try to illuminate what the kingdom of God is like. And as he does this, you notice that around his ministry, there are a couple trends, some very important things that are happening. Specifically, there are two groups that are rising in his ministry, uh, in his context. And the first group were the spiritual leaders of Israel, those who were the leaders of institutional religion, and they began to smell a rat in Jesus. What they, what they began to pick up on was this Jesus guy isn't just a good teacher and a, a gifted rabbi. He's dangerous. He's not teaching the people the same stuff we teach, only better. He's teaching them something else altogether. It, he is attacking and undermining the traditions that have upheld our religion for centuries. This guy is not just a new guy, he is a dangerous guy, and we've got to put him away. And so at this point in his ministry, the institutional religious leaders, the established church leaders, if you will, began to come against Jesus in a great way. And look, it, this is just kind of right before this passage in the, uh, Matthew chapter 12. It says that they went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. In other translations, says how to kill him, meaning they found him to be such a threat, it was highly motivating for them to silence this man because he was about to undo the entire system which they believed in and which gave them power and influence in their society. So that's the one trend happening in Jesus' ministry is the religious leaders of his day were starting to rise in their opposition against him. These people represented those who are already in the faith, but phew, had missed something entirely. They were so set in their way of thinking that even the Son of God could not change the way they thought about religious things. Here's a second group that was rising in Jesus' context. And that was that large crowds were starting to be drawn to him at the same time. In the beginning, you know, people would hear him, they would say, whoa, 
you hear that guy? We got to go check out this church. That, that preacher is a good communicator. And, you know, it still happens today. People usually check out a church because they hear people are, are nice there or because the, the preacher is gifted. And if someone can talk, they, they say, well, it's better than falling asleep every Sunday. And so they flock there. And that's what was happening. Jesus taught in a way that sounded and felt different than every other teacher that was giving religious teaching in his day. And so the buzz was going around. People were drawn to him. And little by little, the crowd started to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. So that by this time, the crowds were at around a a maximum size. He was drawing mega church-sized crowds every time he spoke publicly. And so that's the second trend that is happening in Jesus' life, is that he's speaking... And masses and masses of people are flocking to him. But here's the thing. Neither one of these groups represented something that Jesus was drawn to. These leaders who thought they were in the faith, but whose hearts were not fully submitted to Jesus, fully submitted to God, they were not people who were going to build his kingdom. He saw that they were already very close, they were very knowledgeable, they were very experienced, but their hearts were shut off to God. They weren't interested in actually having a submitted relationship with God. They were interested in having influence and gaining knowledge and holding power over other people. And they were so set in the way they thought about life and religion that no one was ever going to change their mind about anything. I can honestly tell you, And by God's grace, my own faith and my view of God has in some areas dramatically evolved since the time I began pastoring this church. And I think it is a sign of spiritual deadness if when God himself is revealing a new truth to you, you just will not accept it. And I've run into this in counseling where where somebody is so set in the way they think about a relationship, so set in their theories about why this is happening in their life. And no matter how many times you try to bring in a perspective from God that will help them, they just can't accept it. There are people who are physically near to God, but their hearts are shut off from him. And these are not people who will ever build the kingdom of God until they have a shift in their hearts. But at the same time, Jesus did not welcome large crowds and say, that's a win. You know, there's a mantra today in church growth circles. You can't argue with numbers. That's success. People are coming. There's no argument you can make against our methodology because people are coming. But Jesus saw large crowds and said, well, yes, there's a large crowd. But not everyone here is really with me. There are a lot of fans There are not yet a lot of followers. And I think regardless of church size, that could be said in just about every church in the world. Is that there are those who are part of the crowd and those whose hearts are fully submitted to Jesus Christ. And so these two groups are rising. And at the same time that these two groups are gaining prominence in Jesus' ministry context he begins using more and more parables. It's clear that there's a linkage between the kind of people that are drawn to him and his shift in how he decides to teach. So that points us to a second observation, that as Jesus unpacks his answer to their question, why do you speak to people in parables? He reveals that because parables have a dual function. They both reveal and conceal at the same time. They reveal and conceal at the same time. Parables are are an interesting teaching method because at one level, 
they are exceedingly clear and accessible. You know, if I talk about supralapsarianism or cessationalism or paedo-baptism, these big words, people's eyes will glaze over, even if they're very important concepts, even if they're actually not that difficult to understand. When you talk like that, people just start thinking, that has nothing to do with my life. But when you start talking about hunting and fishing and farming, especially when you're in an agrarian culture, people start to listen. Like, oh, shh, shh. Wait, he's talking about the bulls. Shh. What's he saying about the bulls? You know, and, and suddenly it's stuff that you care about. It's stuff you already understand. There are cultural hooks he's reaching into saying, I got you because you get this already. And he gets their attention and makes them truly feel like this is not going to be intellectually difficult for me to wrap my mind around. And that was the way it was. The parables were exceedingly easy to understand at one level. But then Jesus says, but here's the thing, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom, and that word secrets is actually the, the, the same word from which we get the English word mystery. The mystery, there, as if there's something hidden, not buried for no one to find, but hidden in that if you don't really look for it, if you don't search, you're not going to find it. It's not available to the casual passerby. It's tucked away so that we can discern who is looking and who is just glancing. That's the nature of a secret or a mystery. He says, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. In other words, some people have the ability to discern the secrets of these messages, and some people do not. And we must not get too hung up on the the undertones of predestination, as if God is blinding some eyes and opening other eyes. That's not quite the mechanics of how it works. But the idea is this. Not everyone hearing the same message is hearing the same message. Everyone can understand the words coming out of my mouth right now. I'm not speaking in Portuguese. I'm not using extra large words. When I preach, I like to think, especially when I rehearse it, you know, the day before, are there, is there anything here that's just going to go, what is that guy talking about? And I work very, very hard at trying to eliminate that kind of fog if I can. I don't always succeed, but that's one of my main goals is to get rid of the fog when I preach. But that doesn't mean that because you've grasped the most obvious level of meaning, you've understood the full sermon. And that's the nature of God when he communicates with us, is there is a level that everyone can get, and there is a level that will only be accessed by those who will do a little bit of digging, whose hearts are looking for more. That's the nature of just about everything in the world, isn't it? Right? It's nature. You know, when, when some kid goes, oh, I love One Direction, you're like, all right, what, what's their last album? I don't know, I just really love their music. Well, that's, that's somebody who casually likes One Direction. It's not like my daughters who can name every song and who produced the audio on each track and that kind of thing. You know, like, there is the difference between those who are kind of digging it and they like it, they're, they're aware of it, they're familiar with it, and those who have dug in. They're looking for something that's under the skin of this thing. And so that's an interesting thing about parables is on the one level, they are very clear and they are, they're revealed to us that God wants to be known. He's not trying to hide from us. He's not hiding behind vague concepts and ridiculously impossible things. But he says, I want you to get me. 
But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make it so easy you accidentally trip and you find me. I wanna know who's looking for me. It's kinda like the advice you give to your daughters, you know, make sure people know you're interested but not too interested, you know, like, you wanna discern between the boys who think you're, you're accessible and the boys who really, really want to take your homecoming someday. How motivated are they? Because you don't want the boys just like, yeah, whatever, you wanna just go? That's not a boy I'm gonna send you out on the evening with. But when a boy goes, man, I really care about you. That's the kind of guy eventually I'm going to let my daughters marry. The one who says, that's the girl. Not just a girl, a gettable girl. I'm a five, she's a five. Let's go, you know. <laughs> it's that. Like, in everything, what you're looking for is who really wants it. And who's just sitting there going, well, come on, let's see what you got. And if that's the heart, that's the attitude, let's see what you got. You will get something. You will get a little something. You get a little taste. You'll get, you know, like Sermon 101. What anybody, even the youth group kids who are teenagers, they're getting all of that, aren't you? Are you understanding words coming out of my mouth? All right. But under the skin of this thing, there can be mysteries and depths of meaning that can unleash something in your life. That's not going to be given to everybody who walks out of this building every Sunday. Jesus says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. He said the precise reason he uses this method is because it helps him distinguish those who are just there to let words pass over their ears and those who are there looking for, searching for something which God has to say to us. And the difference is incalculable. If I sit in anything, just casually, I will miss most of it. I I don't know if you guys have ever um, gone to see a a movie with Heath Allison, but I go to see a lot of movies with Heath. And I'm amazed at the movie I didn't see because he catches everything. I, I don't understand how, but he's catching nuances, weird references, and the cinematography of everything. I just go, yeah, I just got lost in it for a couple hours, and I like the story. That's all I get, okay? There is a difference when you're there casually and when you're there actively engaged, seeking, hungry. And, And that's true of everything, right? A conversation with your girlfriend or boyfriend or with your spouse, especially husbands. Listen up. Have you ever had this experience? What did I just say? Uh, sure. Yeah, I, right on. Totally agree. You just space out because you're like kind of, words and sounds are coming out of her mouth. But the truth is, you are not there. You're on the golf course or you're somewhere else. You just, you're not there. And the experience and what you take away from that is always going to be based on what exactly was in your mind while you were sitting there. It's ironic to me that many people who are preaching in churches today are using this more narrative storytelling style of preaching in order to draw crowds when Jesus used them to thin out the crowds that were drawn to him. We think it's a win when more and more people want to hear the story, but Jesus thought it was a win when they could see past the story to the treasured truth that it revealed. 
that it was an invitation not just to be entertained and inspired, but to connect to him and begin a faith-based relationship with him. Every sermon Jesus ever gave was an invitation not to just go, I totally agree with that. He didn't care about our agreement. What he wanted was to invite us to follow him, to make a decision in our hearts about who he was and what this kingdom of his meant, and to decide I will live in that kingdom or apart from it. Every sermon he gave was a call to decision. It was never a call to agreement and simply to understanding intellectually. He quotes this line from Isaiah. In fact, it is one of the most accurate and word-for-word citations of the Old Testament from Jesus' mouth. And it's referencing a lament that God was sharing with the people of Israel through the prophet Isaiah when he looked at the spiritual state of Israel in those days. And what he saw was, man, these people's hearts are so hard. They're still very religious. Don't get me wrong. Those people were very religious. They killed those animals like there was no tomorrow. They sacrificed. They gave money. They went to sermons in the temple. But he says, man, they barely hear with their ears. They barely see with their eyes. And they definitely understand nothing. And the key, the linchpin, was their calloused hearts. Look what he says. That if their hearts were not so hardened, you know what a callus is, right? I think that's a very, very um, good way to think about it. When you think of a hard heart, you might think of like this titanium wall around the heart that something just suddenly erected this heart. It's not like that. A, hard, a heart gets hardened the way a callus forms. Over time, little by little, it just forms layer after layer. Do we have any guitarists? Raise your hand to be guitarist. Eugene, why are you not lazy? Do you play guitar? Are you here? Where are you right now? All right. That's what I thought. So if someone plays guitar, go up and feel their fingertips. It's like the edge, the corner of your wallet, man. It's like just dead skin. It's a thick layer of just, I don't know what that is. It's not human flesh. It's like something off the bottom of your shoe. It's thick. And it gets like that because it rubs against these strings all the time until they have no feeling left in their fingertips. Doctors should never play guitar because they can't tell you what your pulse is. They put their, like, nothing. I got, you're dead. Because nothing gets through that. That's the way a heart gets hardened. It's layer after layer of cynicism, disappointment, failure, bitterness, anger. And little by little, you harden your heart one layer at a time until nothing can get through there. And God saw their hearts and said, if their hearts were not so hardened, then, listen, they would understand with what? With their hearts. Because the kind of understanding God is after is not, I understood the words and ideas, but that we understood with our hearts. Do you know what I think that's talking about? When you understand something with your heart, it's not that you agreed and understood the concepts, but that you were able to accept what you understood. And there's a huge difference between understanding God's word and accepting God's word. I know lots of people who have all the right answers. They get A plus on every Sunday school quiz. But when you hang out with them for a while, you start to get the feeling that they know everything but they don't understand anything. 
Like it's just ideas to them. Where is the evidence of this life-giving kingdom coursing through your veins, touching the way you live, the way you talk, the way you interact with people, spend your time and money? Where is that? On the other side, sometimes you see people who don't get that much up here because they're new to everything. They don't have all the theology in place, but their hearts are totally open to God. They want more of him. They're hungry. Every sermon they're saying, I want to see him a little more. And that's the kind of understanding that God has always been after in our lives. It's not just the understanding up here. Don't get me wrong. This is good. We want there to be no barrier to this. But the understanding that God wants is the understanding that comes to the heart. If you only get the surface meaning or the surface story, you will walk out of church amused, informed, inspired, thankful that you stayed awake the whole time, might have even laughed a couple times, and you might even remember some stuff. But if you only get the surface story, you might be able to repeat the sermon to another person But that's as far into you as that story got. If your heart is open, you'll get past the surface meaning. And suddenly, you'll know. I'm going to wrap it up with a story. Um, So, you know, all my life, I've enjoyed the, the gift of God in good health. I've, you know, I've rarely been sick. I don't have any major issues. And from all my adult life, my cholesterol, without really trying, has been in the 140 to 160 range. Fairly healthy, fairly low. And I used to eat like a pig. And, you know, just short of eating Crisco out of the, the bucket, like, I wouldn't think about cholesterol ever, and I always had low cholesterol. And so I never worried about it. And then recently, you know, because of um, a number of different things, I felt highly motivated to go and get a, a physical. I'm 45, so I'm, if I have a good long life, I'm halfway done, okay? And so I thought I should go get checked out because my last physical was when I was 37, so it's been a while. Men, you know what I'm talking about, right? We hate going to the doctor because we're scared what he might tell us. And we're also scared of that other thing he does, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, I... That kept me away for a long time. Um, so I go to the doctor, and he, gives, he does my blood work. And he goes, oh, in fact, even that, the PSA thing, you know. No glove, just I'll do it through the blood test. I'm like, why did my last doctor when I was 37 not do that? But, um, you know, he, he basically gave me a clean bill of health. He calls me two days later and says, Dave, we looked at everything. You're in very good health, except. I'm like, oh, What? He said, you have really high cholesterol. And I, my first feeling was really being offended because for three months I have just been dieting like crazy. I've been exercising. I've been losing weight. I've been living like someone who actually cares about cholesterol. And it goes up. But here's the interesting thing. In our culture, articles warning about how to lower your cholesterol are everywhere. Every magazine, I would see the ads, the articles, and I'd just blow them off. They were everywhere. I knew cholesterol was an important issue. My dad had had a heart attack. He had a stent put in a few years back. So I knew this was not a casual subject. I knew it was important. Up here, I knew all of that. But it had nothing to do with my life. 
I decided at one point that cholesterol is a non-issue for me so they can blab on all they want. I know it's important for someone, just not for me. And then that call came from the doctor, and I found out that I went from 147 to 222. I don't understand what I'm still kind of mad about it. Because it seems like just cosmically unjust for this to happen when I'm working so hard. He said, I don't know what to tell you, but I think it might just be genetic. I think your cholesterol enemy just kicked in at 45, and you're going to have to really work hard. And he said, you, you know, you can take some of this. And I'm like, no, I don't want medicine. I'm going to fight this the natural way. So I asked him for three more months, and I'm going to dig into it. But you know what's happening lately? The last three books I bought on Amazon Kindle store were about food, about diet, about lowering cholesterol. Suddenly, the ubiquitous message that was always right there at the periphery, I knew it was important, suddenly it's become crucially important, and I'm highly motivated because you know what happened? Literally, my heart opened up to it. I gave a crud about this all of a sudden. It was no longer something relevant to others. I don't know why. There's a, it's suddenly about me now. And now that I read, everything is changing. I'm engaged. I'm memorizing. I'm learning. I'm ch- and you know what else it says? Look what it says there. They would understand. And when you've understood from the heart, what's the next thing? You turn. Understanding up here just goes, you nod. <laughs> Understanding here, you turn. And you live differently. I'm no longer just a cholesterol-lowering expert. I am a cholesterol-lowering madman. If I had a cape and a letter, it would be NC. No cholesterol. Give me cholesterol. I shall smite it. I want it low. I want to be back down in 160 three months from now. I want to go see the doctor. Do you see the difference it makes? When at some point in your life something happens and you actually click and realize this actually matters to me. This isn't about theory. It's not just an interesting story. But it now has to do with me, my life, my death, my well-being. And when a heart opens, a whole new world of treasure comes pouring in. That was my experience when I became a Christian in high school and I went back to church that first Sunday and I just remember turning to someone and going, hey, was he always this exciting? It was as if on the same weekend I got saved, my pastor took preaching lessons. Like, dang, this guy all of a sudden got real good. He didn't get better. He was the same, but I was radically different. It got so I could even learn and be blessed by a terrible preacher because all I wanted was the goodies underneath the earth. I wanted that treasure. You want it, you can have it. It's a great tragedy to sit in church week after week only licking the surface of this candy and not realizing that there are goodies underneath. It's like getting a truffle and going, oh, it's got good milk chocolate. 
the stuff that you want is in the center. You gotta bite it. Maybe that describes how it's been for you for a long time. Maybe it's not the way it's always been, but maybe in recent memory, or maybe always, you sat in church. And you know what it's like when someone says something and half the room like erupts in laughter and you're like, what? I could say something like, uh, you know, I was playing my video game the other day and I was getting tired of playing conservatively, so I just went all Leroy Jenkins. And all the nerds in the room go, ha, <laughs> Leroy Jenkins. And you're like, why are, they, why are they laughing? What is that? Look it up on YouTube, you'll understand. It's that idea of being in a room and you know that you've missed something. Everyone else got something, but you missed it. You got enough, but you still know there was more. And I just want to invite you to think about this. Could it be that you are missing something really good? The kind of thing that not just changes your thinking, but has the power to make you turn in places you feel powerless and stuck. I want to be more expressive toward my wife. I want to be more involved with my kids. But the truth is, I just can't get excited about that. I, I, I want to speak more freely, but I can't do it. I want to dance at the wedding receptions, but I just can't do it. And there are things you feel in your own heart. I'm stuck. I want to talk to my friends about Jesus. I want to be braver. I want to be less lazy. And you know all of this, but you leave every Sunday going, well, but that's just how I am. I don't know how to turn. And could it be that Sunday after Sunday, God is saying things to you that if your heart were truly open, there will be power to unleash not just understanding, but turning. Real power, real freedom to be different, to change. Wouldn't it be amazing if in the very same place you suddenly found treasure that you never knew was there? That's my prayer for us this whole series. I'm going to do my best to prepare. I'm going to pray a lot as I write these sermons. And I'm going to ask you to do the same. Would you pray that you and everyone sitting around you would see God break through the skin of any calloused hearts, including your own, so that when we leave each Sunday, we would leave with treasure and not just with some laughs? Why don't we bow together and let's pray. We still have communion yet, and so um, we're just going to have a quick response, but engage God fully in this. First, if you're one of those who really identifies with what I said at the end there, that like you sit here and you understand what the sermon is about, but you know, you just know that you walk out of here every Sunday and away from the Bible every morning in devotion and you just say, I don't, I don't know. I'm just not getting more than just the surface. Then I think your prayer can simply be this, God Unharden my heart. Soften it. I don't think the problem is with my brain. I think the problem is with my heart. And I think the barrier is not that I can't understand, but that I can't accept what you're saying. So why don't we just pray that for ourselves if that's where you are. And if, if that isn't where you are, praise God 
because you're there in that good state because of him. And pray for others. Let's just spend a, a minute praying about that. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.